The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 366. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. Help keep these lights on. Help keep the podcast going. You also get your book plate there if you want my autograph of one of my books. I've got a new book out, Southern Scribblings. It's a great book, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. You're going to want to pick that up. You can also go to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. That free class is 10 Myths of American History. It's an awesome class, but I've also got 12 classes available for purchase. I will have a new class coming out in September. So you're going to want to pick up that new class at a discount. So you want to be a member of McClanahan Academy so you know what the discount is. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, right now I've got a 35% off coupon for my American Constitutions course. So just go on out to McClanahan Academy, click on that American Constitutions course, and use the coupon code RBG. RBG. You get it for 35% off. It's quite a deal. And of course, because you're listening to this podcast, that's why you get it. You can also support the show by going to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's another great website where I teach. You can click on that Shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Of course, rate this podcast, share it around on social media, do everything you can to let people know about it. That's how we're going to grow the audience and get people thinking locally and acting locally. And I do appreciate any suggestions you have for show material, I will try to... This this whole week is a listener-generated week because somebody said, hey, look, why could, would you do a week on the Supreme Court? So that's what I've done. This is the fourth day we're talking about the Supreme Court, the last day we're talking about the Supreme Court, and what I decided to do with this day, because I've been asked this question several times before, hey, you're critical of all these Supreme Court judges. Are there any that were any good? Was, was there one Supreme Court judge or two or three that you could point to that actually did a pretty good job? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, there are a few, I would say about a handful of Supreme Court justices that are pretty good, or maybe a couple of handfuls, pretty good, right? You look at the current bench, and people like Samuel Alito, they liked Antonin Scalia, they like Clarence Thomas. Now, of that bunch... Of course, John Roberts is problematic. We don't know about uh, Kavanaugh or Gorsuch yet. I mean, we don't know what they're going to be like. We know that um, the leftists on the bench are awful. But uh, as far as the current composition of the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas is pretty solid on things like federalism, the original Constitution. He's the closest originalist on the bench that we have right now. Even Antonin Scalia had his problems particularly when it came to federalism. I mean, this is a man that essentially, and I wrote an article for this for American Conservative years ago, essentially knocked down the idea of federalism and very narrowly interpreted the 11th Amendment. He, does, he didn't really believe 
in federalism as much as people think. And that's how I measure these justices. How do they, what do they think about the original balance of power between the states and the federal government? Now, you'll find that every judge here and there is going to give you an opinion that relies on federalism. I mean, look, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg at times believed in federalism when it worked to her advantage. This is the problem. We haven't had consistent, committed federalists with a lowercase f on the Supreme Court in a long, long time. What we basically have are ideological justices who want to push the interests of their party or their political perspective. And that's exactly what the founding generation feared, the, the opponents of the Constitution feared. We talked about this yesterday and how that was a major problem for these opponents of the Constitution. They thought that the Constitution was going to be destroyed because you had people on the bench uh, going into detail on cases that they had no authority to do or ruling in cases they had no authority to rule on. I mean, this is, this is the problem with the courts. This is why there was opposition to the 1789 Judiciary Act in Section 25. It's why people had said that is a major unconstitutional part of that particular law. So we've got some judgment. Look, even John Marshall in <laughs> even John Marshall and Barron v. Baltimore essentially said that the Bill of Rights doesn't apply to the states. He took a Federalist position, lowercase f, in Barron v. Baltimore. I mean, uh, even John Marshall could, could uh, you know, find a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then, and John Marshall did that uh, in that particular case. So you're going to find a nugget here and there in, you know, when, when uh, we have decisions made. But overall, someone who would be just say, look, these people are really good across the board. They had very few hiccups. There are a few of those judges. So let me go over some of these judges, uh, some of the good judges, I think, that were there. One of the first is a man named William Johnson. And William Johnson was from South Carolina. He is the man who essentially um, created the idea of the dissent. Now, William Johnson, of course, was on the bench when John Marshall was Chief Justice. And so he had to suffer through that for virtually, I mean, for all of his time on the bench. And uh, that is interesting because William Johnson grew tired of John Marshall. And so what he started doing is issuing dissenting opinions. Now, this was not something that Marshall really conceptualized of when he reorganized the decision-making process, Johnson would dissent. And he was known as the first dissenter. In fact, most of his time on the bench, he spent dissenting from the majority opinion. Right? Most of his time. He was what uh, you know John Randolph of Roanoke was to the Congress. William Johnson was one judge who took his oath seriously to defend the Constitution, and he often let the court know it that he thought they were going beyond their powers. They were going outside of their jurisdiction in issuing rulings. Uh, and, I mean, I think this is what makes him interesting and unique and why I think he's one of the better Supreme Court justices. At least, at least, he, uh, <laughs> he wasn't one of these that was, you know, corralled in by John Marshall like <clears throat> Joseph Story who uh, you know, started uh, siding with Marshall because you can either be with him or you can be against him. And so Johnson was certainly uh, 
uh, one who would um, be one of the better justices in Supreme Court history from an originalist position. Now, he was kind of a textualist. I mean, this is where you get into textualism, originalism. What does all that mean? I talked about that yesterday. Um, and you can find good textualists. I mean, they're there. Uh, but certainly, uh, William Johnson was, uh, was one of the better judges. Another very good judge, one of the early federal judges, was James I. Riedel of, uh, of North Carolina. I. Riedel, uh, was the only dissent, the only dissent, this is interesting. He was the only one who dissented in Chisholm v. Georgia, which eventually led to the 11th Amendment. So Iredell was saying, look, uh, you know, you can't, the, state, the state cannot be sued without its consent. Of course, the rest of the court disagreed, and uh, they found that Georgia could be sued without its consent. So then we get the 11th Amendment. But James I. Riedel was one of the few that stood up to federal power at that point. And I think that's where, you know, he's a very interesting character. What you're going to realize is that the people that I'm talking about, I mean, look, they're all from the South, right? And, I mean, that's not just because of my regional biases. Uh, there just aren't many good judges because of their view of federal power from the North. There just weren't. I mean, there haven't been. Uh, you, you find that Southern judges tend to be better when it comes to positions of federalism and federal power vis-a-vis the states than any other judges. This is just the way it works. Uh, John Rutledge was pretty good. Uh, John Rutledge, of course, famously, I've talked about him in my uh, Founding Fathers course at McClanahan Academy. Another great course. Uh, John Rutledge would have been Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. In fact, he was for a time, and then that all fell apart. He eventually tried to commit suicide. That didn't work. I mean, John Rutledge was had a miserable end to his life. But he was on the bench for a very short amount of time, and uh, he was pretty good when he was on the bench. So, I mean, I think John Rutledge is someone that, look, I find to be a fascinating character. Uh, he's, he's an interesting individual, served his state, South Carolina, in the Philadelphia Convention and was opposed to all the innovations that were being presented by the other side at the convention. He was a Federalist and he was very good friends with with George Washington. So it wasn't like uh, John Rutledge was uh, was some type of ardent nationalist. I mean, he was he was pretty solid on the idea of of federalism. In fact, without John Rutledge, South Carolina falls to the British much more quickly and succumbs to British occupation during the American War for Independence. One of the most important individuals in the founding generation who's often overlooked. Uh, I also like Philip Pendleton Barber. Now, here's a guy that nobody really knows anything about. He's like William Johnson. He's one of these forgotten Supreme Court justices. But Philip Pendleton Barber was an old Republican. He was an old Republican's Republican. If you go out and read the book, uh, The Old Republicans by Norman Risjord, uh, he gets into this group of individuals, and, and sure, certainly Philip Pendleton Barber fit the bill. And there's a, a very good book out on Philip Pendleton Barber by a guy named Belko. Uh, I would recommend reading that. There's also a good book uh, on William Johnson. It uh, came out in 1954. The title is uh, Justice William Johnson, the First Dissenter, the Career and Constitutional Philosophy of a Jeffersonian Judge. So, I mean, University of South Carolina Press, of course, Johnson is from South Carolina. But Philip Pendleton Barber 
is a fascinating character. He's a fascinating character because, uh, I mean, he dies on the bench. I don't know what his dying wish was to uh, to have someone succeed him. I don't know if he let that known. I don't think he did. I don't think he, he told anybody that he's his dying wish was that his seat would go to somebody else. I don't know. Or that someone would appoint him. I, I have no idea. I have no idea what Philip Pendleton Barber wished. Uh, but he's from Virginia. And uh, Barber was... Uh, Certainly, uh, certainly the one of the more f- uh, interested judges in preserving state power, and he did this on purpose. Uh, he did this on purpose. Um, in fact, Barber was one of the lawyers who argued. Uh, in the case of Cohen's v. Virginia, he wasn't, I mean, he was one of the lawyers there in that particular case that uh, argued that the state of Virginia could not be sued because of the 11th Amendment. So even before, even before he was on the bench, he was already making his positions known on federalism. He also studied under St. George Tucker, which is really interesting. Um, and I think that this is what makes Barber such an interesting character. Now, when he was on the bench, he was on the bench for a very short period of time. I think if he was, had stayed on the bench, you might have seen an entirely different Supreme Court because Barber was taking a very strict stance on state powers. He was suspicious of the general government. He was suspicious of federal power. He was suspicious of federal encroachments on state power. And I think this is where Philip Pendleton Barber was one of the best judges in federal judges in American history. Now, again, he died while sitting on the bench. Uh, and, uh, well, not actually on the bench. I mean, he, they found him in his bed, uh, sitting up almost, uh, where he clearly had a heart attack or something like that. And he just killed over and died. Um, but he was such an interesting character in regard to uh, the, the role of the federal government and the role of the federal court system in the, the United States government that he's often overlooked. I mean, people were, what you're going to get out of Barber is that, oh, he's a slave owner. And so as a slave owner, he's interested in state power, and that's all he cares about because he's just trying to preserve slavery. I mean, it's, it's the stupid arguments you're going you're gonna to get that William Johnson too, John Rutledge as well, James I. Riedel. I mean, any of these people, because they're Southerners, and because they're Southerners, they don't have anything good to say about anything because they were just forfeit, their lives were forfeit because they were bad guys anyways. Uh, his successor, Peter Daniel, did a pretty good job as well. There's another one. When, when Barber died, he, he was replaced by a man named Peter Daniel. And I think Peter Daniel did a pretty good job uh, of following through with Barber's positions on the court. Uh, and he was also a dissenter in the Tawny Court. Um, and most of his decisions were dissents. Uh, and I think this is, you know, where 
Daniel was, uh, you know, another interesting character on the bench. And where, uh, you know, we we often overlook these judges. There's a little biography about uh, about Daniel, too. Uh, it was published in 1964, uh, and it was written by um, uh, a guy f- named Frank. Uh, so you can go out and find that, too. I can't remember the entire the title of it. Uh, Frank is the... Uh, Frank is the author, but... Uh, you know, Daniel generally followed the Constitution the way it was originally ratified. And again, this is you, you read anything about him. Well, he's a slave owner. He's just trying to do this for slavery. I mean, this is, this is where we get into some of that. Now, moving forward, as we get into the post-bellum period, you have people like L, uh, L.Q.C. Lamar, uh, who was from Mississippi, uh, an interesting member of the bench. Um, He was, in fact, uh, one of the most ardent secessionists and was appointed by Grover Cleveland when the war was over, 20 years after the war was over, but he served for about five years in the Supreme Court uh, on on the bench. And so he was one of the first Southerners appointed after the war. In fact, was the first Southerner appointed after the war, but he was uh, uh, generally, again, a strict constructionist when it came to the Constitution, a pretty good judge when it came to uh, you know, federal power vis-a-vis the states. So you have a few. I mean, when you get forward in time, maybe Melville Fuller, who's not a Southerner, but Melville Fuller was pretty good, uh, I think. Um, not a bad judge. And, of course, uh, Lamar served on Fuller's Supreme Court. When you look at you know, the cases that Fuller decided or wrote the majority opinions for, I mean, it's often called a pro-business, a pro-business Supreme Court. And uh, I think that's just there to uh, serve as a way to denounce these people as not very interesting or important because they're not judicial activists the way that you would find in the modern progressive courts. So I think that these judges are pretty good. And then moving forward in time, as we move forward into the into the uh, 20th century, I think the best judge of the 20th century, without question, is William Rehnquist. William Rehnquist was doing everything he could as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court to ensure that the court respected federal power Visa, or I'm sorry, respected state power, I should say, vis-a-vis the federal government, and respected federalism. William, uh, William Rehnquist wrote several good books on uh, the American legal system and the Constitution. I mean, he was certainly one of the best we've ever had when it came to real federalism in the United States. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't make mistakes. Everyone on the bench does at times, or what is we consider what I can consider mistakes. But certainly Rehnquist was interested in real federalism in America. He was scared of excessive nationalization. He was scared of excessive centralism, centralization. He didn't like the idea that the states were going to be uh, essentially downgraded in this new American government, this new national government that was being created in 
or had been created in the United States. So I think that, uh, you know, this is, Rehnquist is one of the few good ones. And of course, you know, working backwards, when I started with the current court composition, I mentioned people like Thomas, but Rehnquist was better than Thomas. He was better than Scalia. He's better than Alito. Rehnquist was a better judge than any of those other individuals when it came to the ideas of federalism. I think that that's, that's something we need to take into account, uh, how good Rehnquist actually was. Now, the left hates Rehnquist because they think that he's just an awful guy. And one of the reasons why they hate him is because he dissented in Roe v. Wade. And he continued to argue, which I think is the correct legal position, that this is not a federal issue. This is a state issue. He continued to argue that until the day he died. And essentially, the arguments that we make against that particular law uh, are based on Rehnquist's dissent in the Roe v. Wade decision, which was a solid decision, if you've ever read it. Uh, it It is very good, and I think it outlines quite nicely the idea that this is a federal, not, I'm sorry, a state, not a federal issue. It's an issue of federalism, not uh, some type of nationalism that we've done. I mean, that's the sad thing about a lot of these laws. They're getting upheld when they're just a complete violation of the original principle of federalism in America. So those are some of the judges that I think are pretty good. I mean, they're all, they've all got their faults, but If we're looking for Supreme Court justices, there aren't many good ones. This is the sad thing about the federal court system. It's the sad thing about uh, nationalism and centralization because you get stuff like this and it becomes very difficult to find good judges who are strong on federalism because they get into the Supreme Court, they get intoxicated with that power that it brings, and they don't necessarily adhere to uh, the original constitution as understood. All right. So that's it for this week of Brian McClanahan shows dealing with the Supreme Court. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want me five times, go ahead and tomorrow I should have the Abbeville Institute podcast up. I missed it last week because of the storm and some other things, but we should have uh, the Abbeville Institute podcast podcast up tomorrow. We've got a lot of great stuff over there this week that I get to talk about. And so that'll be a lot of fun. So if you want me five times a week, don't forget to get get the Abbeville Institute podcast. And of course, uh, you know, share that one around as well because that one's all things all things Southern. All right, I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 